All right, everybody. Welcome back to this episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. And today we got another special guest with us, an up-and-coming real estate entrepreneur. Actually, you know what? He's not up-and-coming. He's already doing it. He's crushing it. He's coming in all the way from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Our special guest today, Manny Schifferod. Manny, how are you doing today? I'm great, Dave. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited for our conversation. Me too, man. Me too, because you filled out all the information I asked you to, which I appreciate. And you are doing some very cool things in real estate. And you started off doing small deals and then less small deals and then bigger deals and then good sized deals in Halifax, kind of doing the multifamily Burr method. And now you sold a couple of those and now you're looking at spreading your wings and getting into the market south of the border of the United States. So first of all, what got you into real estate investing in the first place? And when did you get started? So what brought me into real estate initially was, so I graduated from university back in 2018. I'm a registered nurse. I started working for a month or two and then it just wasn't it. You know, I couldn't imagine <laughs> doing that until oh I was my, 65. You know, I'm, I'm laughing and I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the situation because so many of us went to school for four or five years, whatever it is. And then we get out of there and you start working in the field you studied and it's nothing like what you thought it was going to be. And the reason I kind of chuckle as well is because my wife is an RN. So I know no secondhand exactly all the crap you guys have to go through. So I don't blame you one bit for last of the decided to get the heck out of Dodge there. So sorry for interrupting, exactly. but I found that very, very interesting. No, no, that's great. Cause I'm sure your wife can tell you it's a tough job being a nurse. Even yeah. if I wanted to do it like 10, 15 years, I couldn't even imagine that, you know, it's just, it's just tough. It's like the shift work is hard. Your family life's disrupted everything's difficult about it. So everybody that knows a nurse out there, just thank them. Give them a hug. Give them a hug. So yeah. So after that, I realized I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. I kind of did some research on how else other people can kind of get wealthy. And um, my first, my first attempt was through day trading stocks. And let me tell oh, you, yeah. Yeah. that did not go well. <laughs> I, only, <laughs> I only did it for about a week or two and Unfortunately, I say this, it's funny because my first trade, I did well. Like I, I made like 10 grand in like a day. I'm like, this is unbelievable. It's like, how long does it make take me to make 10 grand as a nurse? Yeah. But then yeah I very how, how long lost. until I become a billionaire at, at this rate? How long till I get my first billion? If I just, if I, if I do replicate that every single day kind of thing, yeah, right? Yeah. If I can make 10 grand a day, this is, I'm going to be rich as hell real fast. But And um, how much did you start with? Just out of curiosity, did you start with a grand and it turned into 10 or what? Ex exactly. One grand. I put one grand in my account and I 10 X it in a day. But again, I lost that all very quickly and more. So by the end of the week, I was like negative 15,000. So, so I, I went up to 10 and I went back down to negative. negative so I lost 15. all of it. So I lost like four grand in a week. I did not have enough money to sustain this. And then like anybody else, you'll probably hear this often. I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the rest was kind of history after that. You know, I met a realtor here in Halifax that was really investor focused. He kind of taught me, taught me some things. And then yeah. I bought a duplex and then a triplex. And then it's kind of snowballed from there. Okay. Well, let's, let's unwrap that for a second. Cause I find this fascinating, Manny. Um, because you took massive action 
you're just out of university. You tried your hand at your profession for a month or two. That didn't that didn't fly. You did not bank a lot of money doing that. And then you lost a chunk of money doing the day trading. Then you jumped into real estate investing. So if you don't mind me asking, you know, nice of that realtor to take you under his wing. Where did you come up with the cash to do that first deal? Or did you house hack? Did you get an investor? What did you do? So I did 5% down. So I was able to kind of do a house hack, but I kind of, um, I sped up that time frame where that all kind of happened. So I, I worked, I continued to work as a nurse for probably okay. about, Actually, I'm still a nurse to this day. I don't work very often, but I, I still have my license. Oh, but, and um, you do shifts every once in a while just to keep your license. Ah, that's ex smart. Ex okay. Exactly. And kind of keep the health insurance coming in. But yeah. I probably worked for about a year and okay. I was able to save about 20, 20 ish grand and 5% okay. down. I was able to buy my first duplex. That's how I got the first one. So you, ho you I, house hacked, you bought it as your personal residence. Exactly. You got in there. Okay. So did you rent that one out? Uh, like a traditional duplex or did you rent it out by the room or what did you do to with that first property just out of curiosity yeah exactly i i just buy by the unit and it's, it's a funny story i i didn't live in it very long let me tell you um so i quickly moved out um and i rented out both sides and i moved in with my girlfriend then wife now um and then we me and her bought our own personal residence to live in maybe six months later and uh -huh. I just rented out that duplex as it was both sides. I bought it, you know, before the prices were crazy here in Halifax. So yeah. it was making me pretty good money. And I only, again, I only put 20 grand into it. So it was pretty nice. Nice. All right. So then you did that. How long between that one and your next revenue property purchase? So exactly one year. So okay. I bought that first duplex in February. And then I bought my personal residence with my wife in June. And that's when I ran out of money. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do here? <laughs> I, I was stuck. I, this is when I had to really kind of learn more and more because I couldn't save enough money. It would take me too long. So I read um, this book called, I forget exactly what the title was, but it was like JV Investing by Canadians by Russell Westcott. Yeah, and he was yeah, talking, he was, it was a really good book. And he was talking about just how you raise capital. And um, I think how he says like, there's like a, three layers and like the first people you go to is like your loved ones, your parents. And then next is like friends. And then after that, it's like complete strangers. So like he said, I followed, I went to my dad because I found a really good burr opportunity triplex. I'm like, and I presented this offer to my dad because I needed this 100 grand, but I knew within a short amount of time I could, I bought it for like maybe 400,000, but the ARV was like seven. So I wow. just needed that hundred grand to kind of get going. And I was able to convince my dad, my dad was real tentative at the start, but I'm like, dad, I'll give you a 10% return. You know, give me three months. I'll have your cash back. It'll be a perfect burr. And just like that, it was, it worked really well. And after that, it's funny. My, yeah, I said, my dad was kind of scared at the start, but once he saw how smoothly it went, he was on board for any deal I brought him <laughs> there on after that. <laughs> Good old dad. All right. So the next one was a, a triplex. Then what was the next one? After Another that? triplex. Triplex wow. again, right after that. Same, exact same idea. You know, bought it under market value. This is again, right before, actually this was during COVID, but it was still like before the, the market was in, yeah, before the boom. So I was able yeah. to get it for a good price. Perfect burr. Same thing. I was, I was just recycling that hundred grand right over to the next one as well. And then after that, that's when the boom began. 
the market was a little crazy and it was hard to find on-market deals. That's when I shifted to the off-market and I uh, started doing my mailing campaign and sending letters out to areas. And that's how I was able to get my next couple of deals. Good for you. That's awesome. Okay. So looking at those, those triplexes, your, your dad loaned you the hundred grand that covers the down payment. What about the renovation costs? Lines of credit. I was using lines of credit for that. And actually, so at this point in my story, I sold that first duplex because mm. the market jumped quite a bit. You know, I made a hundred grand worth of equity kind of, it just made sense in the moment because now I was taking that hundred grand to actually help me with renovations and aided in down payments for like the, the bigger properties that I was going to buy the following year. Nice. Nice. All right. So you built up a, a nice size little portfolio of small multifamily properties in, in Halifax. What does that look like now, Manny? So right now I have two triplexes and a sixplex. I just sold a fourplex about two months back to free up some cash to kind of deploy south of the border. Okay. Very good. So at the moment you got 12 units in your portfolio, rental units. Yep. Uh, you know, at the time that we're recording this, Interest rates have gone up, all that kind of good stuff. Are are they cash flowing for you? Yep, <laughs> so, I mean, they have been hit. There's no doubt about that. Um, but they are still cash flowing. That's uh, it's it's been really, I've been really lucky that I was able to just kind of turn over all of my units. So I cash for keys almost all of them out. So I'm getting like above market rent and mm. kind of you have to kind of be aggressive in that regard in this market. And uh, yeah, luckily I'm still able to cash flow pretty well. Okay, well that's cool. I, I was, I'm curious about the cash for keys idea. It just it brings to mind that a couple of months ago here at our local real estate investment club, um, we had a gentleman talking about dealing with tenants and and whatnot, and the challenges. And I I know in in Nova Scotia you've got a landlord tenant board that's probably pretty tenant friendly. Definitely the case in British Columbia. Definitely the case in Ontario. So how did that whole cash for keys thing work? And more or less, how much comparative to, to what a monthly rental was, how much did you have to fork out to get people to move out? So it's nothing compared to the cash for keys I hear people in Ontario dishing out. You know, sometimes you hear 40, 50 grand. It's, it shocks me, you know, but sometimes it's worth it for them because, you know, it increases the, the, the value of the building by so much. But luckily, I've been able to keep it all between two so the, the most was $5,000 to one guy, um, but still it was a no-brainer because the rents all jumped from like, you know, five, six hundred to seventeen hundred dollars. So wow. I'm making I'm making the cash for keys money back within the first year on all of them. That's amazing. Yeah, no, that just makes nothing but sense. And yeah, good for you for for being able to do that. Okay, so you you built up that portfolio in Halifax pretty quickly. And then what happened? Why did you decide to start looking south of the border? Well, the, really the main reason was because I wanted to start buying larger apartment buildings. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to buy any more like six units or less. And I didn't really want to buy like the mid-teens either. I just wanted to shoot for like bigger ones, 50 units, 60 units. And the market here in Halifax for that asset class is incredibly competitive. And the people that I'm really competing with are able to just pay way, way more than uh, yeah. REITs and whatnot are, is what you're competing with. And when you get into that kind of stuff, right? Quite often. Yep. REITs and just those multi-generational families that just have boatloads of cash, you know, the they old, don't have the old money, the old money. Yeah. They yeah. don't have investors. It's just their money. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. A, fr a friend of mine told me he was talking to a guy that's like a, the head of a REIT and um, they buy stuff knowing that it's not going to make money for five years. So 
how, they how can care. I? They, 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 they just, just have park so their money. money. Yeah, exactly. Park all right. So you decided to go look down in the state. So first of all, you're doing two different things. You're going from small multifamilies up into much bigger properties. That's that's a big shift. There's no more self-management type stuff. You're going to have to get into professional management. Probably your dad's hundred grand ain't going to cut it. You're going to have to start getting into scaling up the capital raising. And then you complicate things a little bit more by deciding to do that south of the border. So now you got all this Canadian investing in the U.S., situation to deal with as well so walk us through a little bit of that uh first of all have you done a deal south of the border yet or or are you just really kind of figuring out the markets right now so i guess to touch on the other point about the capital you're right so my dad's hundred grand's not it's not cutting anymore but luckily over the past you know two years i've been networking pretty pretty aggressively i've joined different mentorship groups so i know quite a few people and I've been able to compile a list, you know, of people that have just have told me like they've seen what I've been able to do thus far and they have capital and they're ready to deploy it. So I have my list of investors ready to go. So in that regard, like I, I feel pretty confident in being able to raise money for at least the first deal. And I also have um, partners on it. So to, to touch on why I feel confident to be able to go to the States now is I joined a, a mentorship program last June specifically about Canadians investing in the States. And I have a, and I have a mentor, his name's Thomas, and he happens to be one of my partners on the deal. He's, he's a dual citizen. He was born in Ontario, but he lives in California. He invests both sides. He's a a coach in this program. So me and him are working together and I'm soaking up as much information from him and it's making it a lot easier. It's not just like I'm going down there willy nilly and buying stuff (laughs) without any, any experience, which I don't have, but my partner has plenty of it. Ah, that's smart. Very, very, very smart. So you and Thomas, where are you guys kind of looking at right now? Is there, is there a specific state that he likes to focus on or a city that he likes to focus on? Yes. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I first started, I just wanted to invest in any Republican state that has favorable landlord rules. And then I quickly realized there's many. (laughs) So I, I had I had so many deals coming my way and from like 10, 15 different states. And it's like impossible for me to really analyze or kind of know anywhere in depth at that, at that size. So over the past couple of months, we have zeroed in on um, Ohio and Texas. And then within Ohio, it's really the big cities, Cincy, Cleveland, uh, Columbus, Dayton. I have a couple of offers out on a couple of buildings in Ohio right now. And randomly this one deal came our way from West Virginia. It's a larger deal, but it was, the numbers were very favorable right away. So I'm in negotiations on that one right now too. Very cool. So is it as, as you're part of the partnership or the mentorship role there, is it your job to be going out and finding deals and, and kind of doing the initial analysis or is he bringing deals to the table as well? Or how's that working? A little bit of both, a little bit of both. Like sometimes he'll come across a deal um, like on LoopNet or something, it'll just be like, it'll be on the market for like a hundred days. He's like, Manny, this seems like it might be interesting. You should run numbers on it and I'll do that. But also like, I'm really focusing on a lot of off market stuff and yeah. that's kind of on, on me. Uh, I, I've been using some programs that are common in the States and analyzing the deals, doing some cold calling and stuff like that. So that's finding the deal. I feel like it's, it's been more of my role and it's fine because that's kind of what I would like to do. Cause I'd like to scale that up. If I can 
have um, pretty good deal flow coming, then I could potentially wholesale it or pass it along to other members yeah. in, in our group. Yeah. If it doesn't fit for what you guys are looking to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So Manny, um, walk me through once you do find the deal that, that makes sense for you guys. Sounds like you've got a bunch of potential investors lined up in Canada. How are you planning to structure things so that you can use their capital for those U.S. properties? What do you got? Sure. So really, it depends on the size of the deal. Um, if we can keep it, you know, like sub five million type of thing, then we okay. can kind of still keep it as like, like a JV format. And we, because we have like maybe two or three guys that just happen to have cash that we can kind of incorporate them in. But once you get a little bigger, um, then you have to go through the whole syndication route and the SEC okay. rules and, you know, 506B, 506C, accredited investors and stuff like that. That's a little bit more paperwork and we're ready to, you know, tackle that. But ideally, it'll be just kind of a little bit more small scale. So, right. Because the JV. Okay. So be- let's, let's, let's say we got that small scale deal going. Um, under five, let's say it's a $4 million property just for even numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. Typically, how much cash do you need to bring to the table for that kind of deal in the States? All in between down payment, you know, between doing all the studies, between the legal stuff, all that kind of stuff. What What are you looking at for cash for that kind of a deal? You know, it's a loaded question because, you know, one thing we're really pushing for and we're getting it a lot lately is like seller financing, especially because mm-hmm. because I'm targeting a lot of um, owners that are, are debt free. And in that regard, it's really all up in the air. It's like sure. we can, if I can if I can negotiate, you know, five percent down, if I can, if there's a reason why five percent down would make sense for them and we can kind of spread it over a longer period of time, we can make it happen. But that's, but, but that's let's, really let's, like a, well, even with owner situation. financing, chances are. They're going to want a chunk and let, let's just, yeah, 25%, they're, going to, they're, they're yeah. going to act like the bank. So let's yes. say they'll finance 80% of it. You're still going to have to yeah. go out to cash. So what, how's that look? What do you, what are you thinking there? So you said 4 million, like a 4 million yeah, purchase price. For, let's, let's, let's say 25% down. That's kind of what we normally would, would do. So I'm just right. doing the math bucks. quickly. Yeah. Yeah. A million, a million for the down payment. And then, you know, to pay like the broker, I uh, have my own agent. They might have their own agent. That might be quickly, you know, another hundred grand or two. Um, mm. All those studies that you mentioned, they, that can add up quickly to another couple hundred grand. So comfortably, we probably have to raise around 1.5 just to okay. take that down traditionally. Okay, very good. So 1.5, you want to do this in kind of a joint venture structure to keep it simple. Yes. So what's kind of the maximum number of partners you can have as a joint venture before it becomes a a syndication. And, and again, I'm not holding you to this because you're not a securities guy. You're not a lawyer, but you're from your understanding, what does that look like? So from what one accountant has told us, it's like roughly six. So once it gets above six, like, so including me, Thomas, and there's actually one other partner, his name's Ian, we're like the general partners, the three of us. But then, so we pretty much have room for about like three more people that have capital to kind of keep it a little more simple. Anything above that, then yeah, we have to kind of play by the book and it gets so a little six more. all together, including the active general partners of the deal, including the active investors in there. So exactly. Okay. So you so in that case, are you guys planning to bring some of your own capital to the table or are you going to try and raise a hundred percent? I have no problem bringing some of my cash on the table. In fact, I, I'd like to, you know, a couple of reasons. One, you know, 
I might have, I, I just, I'd get more back obviously, but yeah. uh, two, because it shows that I believe in the deal. Like if I'm yeah. willing to risk my money, it shows that I'm very confident in this deal. And I think that would show good faith to our money partners as well. No, most definitely. No, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Very cool. And then what are your thoughts about how that joint venture structure would look? Obviously, uh, you know, percentage ownership would depend on how much capital the investor brings to the table, but what does that typically look like that size of a, of a deal is, you know, the GPs versus the, the limited partners, you know, the active partners, your, your share of that, not counting any money that you put into the deal. What does that typically work out to be? So the beauty of this is like we're raising money from Canadians and when Canadians normally just 50, 50. So, but in, in America, the syndicators that do that, it's different. You know, it's sometimes it's very frequently it's 70, 30 and 70 to the money partners and 30 to the, to the active partners. So luckily we're not in that boat just yet. May, probably eventually we'll get there, but in the meantime, it'll just probably 50, 50. So we'll get half and our money partners will get half. Yeah. As long as the numbers make sense and your money partners are getting a, a good return on their money, they'll, they'll be happy with it. Right. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Very cool. And for that price point around the 4 million in the markets that you're looking at, how many units does that kind of represent? Oh man, a lot. So like we're seeing like 30, 40 K a door sometimes, you know, 50 yeah. K a door, 65, 75 K that's starting to get a little pricey. You know, mm. it's a lot of opportunity down there. I was telling somebody like I could buy a hundred unit here in Halifax and might cost 25 million, but like in the right spot, South border might cost 10. So yeah. it's yeah. less than 10, you know? It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, this is exciting stuff. And have you come close to pulling the trigger on a few deals yet? Or are you still kind of? No, real just... close. I'm I'm in like a pretty, I'm, I'm probably this close to getting two under contract right now. We're just kind of going back and forth about little, little parts of the terms. But once it's locked up, then it's really go time. And I'm kind of excited for that, the, the due diligence to begin. Oh, that's fantastic. So Manny, as we're wrapping up our conversation, because time flies when we're having fun, um, what would you say, you know, with, with the experience that you've got under your belt, using Robert Kiyosaki's terminology, it sounds like you're a Kiyosaki fan. He says that we all have an unfair advantage. There's something that we bring to the table that we just do naturally. It's easy for us. Other people find it a little bit more difficult. What would you say might be your unfair advantage when it comes to real estate investing? Gosh, I feel like it's just my tenacity. You know, I don't give up. You know, this is this is what I want to do, and uh, I'm not going to stop until it gets done. That's awesome. Okay, and on your on your journey, you started off with small deals. Now you're getting up into big deals. Knowing what you know now, if you're starting over again, what would you do? If anything, would you do anything different? I don't, I think I would try to go a little bigger faster, mm -hmm. but again, like reasonably, some people think that, oh, you can just start off with like a 50 unit or something like that. And you, you can, but it really depends on your education. So I think I would have networked a little harder from the get-go. I would have maybe even joined one of these programs that I'm in right now a little sooner. I was probably two years into investing before I really joined a mentorship program. But if I knew what I what I've learned over the past year, like from the get go, I would have been attacking these bigger buildings, you know, back in 2021. And God knows where I'd be now if I were to do that. All right, my friend. Well, that's awesome. If many people want to find out more about you and connect with you, what should they do? 
So my Instagram, it's Shift Properties, S-H-I-F Properties, or um, you can check out my podcast. We actually just released a podcast, me and my, me and my friends. It's called The Refined Real Estate Podcast. We're on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, all of those. So you could give us a follow, like, subscribe, all that stuff. Leave a comment. That'd be awesome. But yeah, you can reach me on those two, mainly, mainly um, Instagram. Though. That's where I'm most active. Fantastic. All right, Manny. Thanks very much for being on the show and keep up the good work. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. This has been awesome. Take care, everybody. See you on the next episode.